the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. In our last session, Part 1, I kicked off this new post-resurrection series with a provocative question. The annual celebration is past, but is the living now over? Then I asked, has this once-a-year celebration now propelled us to live out the resurrected life? I then proposed that living out the resurrection life must start with a consciousness that the road to the resurrection of our Redeemer is paved with divine paradoxes, paradoxes we must not only come to understand, but willingly embrace. And this embracing, friends, can only come through personal surrender in faith, surrendering our suke life, the New Testament word, in other words, our soul-driven life, our baser self that operates purely in the natural realm, the realm of the senses, the realm of feelings and emotions, if you will. Only when we surrender this suke life, as Jesus instructed us, we discover there's a higher life to live, resurrection life. The word the New Testament uses is actually Zoe life. Our Christian life is now infused with a whole new dimension of living. Recall I said this Zoe life is eternal life, spiritual life, salvation life, if you will. We grow to learn that salvation life is not just everlasting, something future as we tend to think as in duration, but it actually includes dimension, a quality of life we can and should be living in the here and now. We took our initial cue from Jesus' teaching in Luke nine twenty three and 24. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake he is the one who will save it. And both times life here is our word suke. If you missed part one, just access the podcast at Faith Talk 
1360.com. Friends, I've dubbed this series Resurrection Season Rewind because this brief journey back onto the road we're traveling will uncover divine paradoxes and give us a glimpse into how the kingdom of God operates versus how the kingdom of the world operates. It's high time we realize these two kingdoms are kingdoms in conflict. In fact, they're diametrically opposed kingdoms, so diametrically opposed that this road to the resurrection of our Redeemer leads us to the cross. Recall I mentioned that one function of the cross in our lives is to put to death our suke life. In other words, our life ruled by our feelings and emotions. The New Testament calls it the soul life and urges us to separate or distance ourselves from that old life and its habit patterns. So last time in part one, we looked at greatness God's way and the path of humility. Here we saw these two kingdoms in conflict, the world's way of defining greatness versus the kingdom of God's way of defining greatness. Under the world's system, people often ascend into greatness and often through selfish ambition, whereas in the kingdom of God, we descend into greatness by cultivating the trait of humility. Well, friends, today, paradox number two is reciprocity God's way. And here again, we'll witness two kingdoms in conflict. And through some brief cameos, I'll introduce you to people who I believe understood the kingdom's way of reciprocating. First, Louis XII of France, before ascending to the throne and coming to power, had a unique way of reciprocating what his enemies had done. He himself had been cast into prison and kept in chains, but later, when he became king, he was urged to even the score. In other words, seek revenge, but he refused. Instead, Louis drafted a scroll on which he listed all who had committed crimes against him. Remember, the resurrection life is the instead life. Behind every person's name, he drew a cross in red ink. When the guilty people heard this and shown the scroll, they feared for their lives and fled. But King Louis later clarified his actions with these words. The cross which I drew besides each name was not a sign of punishment, but a pledge of forgiveness, extended for the sake of the crucified Savior, who upon his cross forgave his enemies and prayed for them. Whoa! The cross certainly put to death King Louis's suke life, didn't it? And separated him from his old life and its habit patterns. Second, Sir Winston Churchill and Lady Churchill both attended a dinner party one night. Lady Churchill sat across the table from Sir Winston, who kept making his hand walk up and down the table toward her with two fingers bent at the knuckles. Finally, out of sheer curiosity, one of their dinner partners leaned over and asked Lady Churchill, Why is Sir Winston looking at you so wistfully, and whatever is he doing with his knuckles? That's simple, Lady Winston replied. We had a mild quarrel before we left home, and he's indicating that it was his fault, and he's on his knees to me in abject apology. Hmm... Third, Leonardo da Vinci, while painting The Last Supper, had an intense, bitter argument with a fellow painter. Da Vinci was so enraged, he decided to paint that fellow painter's face into the face of Judas. That way, the hated painter's face would be preserved for all time in the face of the betraying disciple. When his painting of Judas was finished, everyone recognized the one with whom da Vinci had quarreled. 
But as da Vinci continued working on his painting, every attempt to paint the face of Christ only frustrated him. He just couldn't get Christ's face correct. Something held him back. His conscience wouldn't let him rest, for the problem was his animosity toward that fellow painter. Well, finally, Leonardo diffused his hatred by repainting Judas's face, replacing the image of his fellow painter with Judas's proper face. Then, and only then, could Leonardo paint Jesus's face and complete his masterpiece. Fourth and finally, Corey Tenboom, in her book, The Hiding Place, recounts a difficult moment after her concentration camp experience in Nazi Germany. During a church service in Munich, she came face to face with the former SS man who was one of the cruelest and heartless German guards she ever knew. He humiliated and degraded her and her sister. He jeered and visually violated them as they stood in the de-lousing showers in the processing center at Ravensbrück. Immediately it all flashed back, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, her sister Betsy's pain-blanched face. As people exited the service, this former SS man came up to her, beaming and bowing to her, saying, I'm grateful for your message, Fräulein, to think that, as you said, he washed my sins away. He then stretched his hand out to shake hers, and Corey, who so often preached forgiveness in other cities, kept her hand frozen at her side. Angry, vengeful thoughts rushed to the surface, boiling inside her as she now faced these sins. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to require more, she thought? So she prayed to herself, Lord, forgive me and help me forgive him. She tried to smile and struggled to raise her hand, but she just couldn't. She didn't feel the slightest spark of warmth or charity. So she breathed out another silent prayer. Jesus, I can't forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. She mechanically thrust her hand into his and experienced something incredible. From her shoulder down her arm to her hand, a current seemed to pass from her to him, while in her head she's in her heart she sprang a love for this man that nearly overwhelmed her. Her whole being was flooded with warm reconciliation, and tears flowed from her eyes. She cried with her whole heart, I forgive you, brother. Their grasp remained strong for some time, the former SS guard and the former prisoner. She never knew the love of God so intensely as she did at that unique moment. She thought, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner has been you. Friends, a Hallmark card appropriately states, sometimes we have to let go of the past in order to enjoy the present and be able to dream about the future. And it's been well said, forgiveness has been called the virtue we profess to believe, fail to practice, and neglect to preach. So friends, I'm preaching on it today. And why today's title is Reciprocity, God's Way. And I'll add this subtitle, Rolling a Seven, The Path of Forgiveness. Our jumping off point is Matthew eighteen twenty one through 35. Remember, the clock is winding down for Jesus. He's focused on and zeroing in on instilling in his disciples' minds the divine paradoxes of the kingdom of God. Again, he's contrasting the heavenly value system with the earthly one. Two kingdoms in conflict. 
Well, friends, let's highlight a portion of Matthew eighteen twenty-one through 35. You know the story. It's the parable of the unmerciful servant. Through it, Jesus answers Peter's question. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And here's a good place to refresh ourselves on a cultural phenomenon among the Jews of the first century. Rabbis had said that people should forgive an offender three times. Peter probably thought to himself, I'll go beyond double that and offer and impress Jesus. And I'll offer to forgive seven times until... Jesus said, not seven times, but seven times seventy. Near the end of this parable, Jesus recounts that a master forgave his servant's debt because he pleaded with him and couldn't pay down the debt. But of course, this servant didn't do likewise with one of his fellow servants. Word got back to his master, so he called him on the carpet and said, Hey, I canceled your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? You wicked servant, I'm turning you over to the jailers to torture you until you repay me all you owe. Then Jesus concludes his parable with these provocative words. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Friends, I'll never forget many moons ago when I was working in New York City. I went out for lunch one day and someone had stenciled on several street corners right on the blacktop at the curb line these words, Don't get mad, get even. Now there's an unforgiving spirit at work, right? Well, this Matthew 18 parable both begins and ends with forgiveness. Forgiveness is placed like bookends. Interestingly, Peter's original question, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister, was asked to Jesus in the context of a common Bible verse we all quote often, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. And while this is a truism by itself, we rarely familiarize ourselves with the context of Jesus' closing statement. It actually summarizes his teaching on handling sin in the church community. We're to call a sinning brother or sister to repentance and reconciliation, to restore a fractured relationship. Jesus is stating that repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation maintain the integrity of the Christian community, keeping fellowship intact without strained or fractured relationships ending up in broken or lost relationships and remaining that way. Friends, our calling as the church, the family of God, is to live in the light of God's resurrection presence and power. This includes bringing our conflicts out in the open so we can properly and spiritually deal with them. We should make every effort to keep short accounts with both God and fellow believers. We shouldn't let a debt accumulate what's known as bitterness interest, waiting to see if the other person takes the first step. Friends, the one who hurts us incurs a moral debt. Our part in the equation is to relinquish these accounts to God and forgive the debt we feel others owe us. Today's paradox teaches us when the suke life dominates, we fall back on earthly or worldly arithmetic and keep records of the times we've forgiven others. I'll bet there are times when we haven't doled out even the seven times Peter told Jesus he was offering to forgive others. 
But when the Zoe life is in control and dominates, we move forward and continue to use heavenly or godly arithmetic, 70 times 7. You see, friends, the divine paradox Jesus was teaching his disciples was that they should forgive an unlimited number of times. 70 times 7 is meant to be taken as a hyperbole. In other words, forgiveness should be offered countless times. Friends, this is one of the greatest barriers to Christian growth and maturity, knowing what to do with forgiveness. I'm convinced that many of us don't realize the seriousness of Jesus' words in Matthew 18.35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. And not just blurting out words to fulfill a duty, but expressing deep and true heart forgiveness. This is the only kind of forgiveness God accepts. Well, let's pause here a moment, friends. If you tuned in late, you're listening to A Word from the Word. With me, your host, Pastor Tom. I want you to know how valuable you are as listeners to A Word from the Word, which is listener-supported. Your financial partnership keeps this program on the air, which disciples many Christians without a church home, plus those of you who may have been wounded by the institutional church. Join forces with me and A Word from the Word by emailing me for support details at awordfromtheword at minister.com. We'll repeat this info at the end of the program. Well, those words of Jesus on forgiveness are paralleled in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew six fourteen and 15. There Jesus closes out his template-style prayer with these provocative words, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins... Your Father will not forgive your sins. You see, friends, our unwillingness to forgive others becomes a barrier to God forgiving our own sins. Friends, forgiveness should characterize and be the hallmark of those who will enter the kingdom of heaven. An unforgiving spirit only demonstrates we're not yet fit to enter the kingdom of heaven. Hey, I'll readily admit this is a hard truth. God does not forgive the unforgiving. It's just that plain and simple. So today's part two, this parable of the unmerciful servant, should cause us to take a hard look at the enormous moral debt God has forgiven us in Christ. Shouldn't this compel us to forgive others? In forgiving others, we then free ourselves from the torture of festering resentments. Remember Corey Tenboom's aha moment? To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner has been you. Look, we can't necessarily change what others have done to us, but we can write off their debts by handing the accounting process over to God. Amen? Unlike the world's value system and its reciprocating process that's marked by the dominating suke life, the kingdom of God's value system should be dominated by the resurrection, zoe life, and godlike forgiveness. You see, friends, when someone wrongs us, the suke-driven part of us rears its ugly head, and a chain of events usually occurs. We naturally expect the other person to owe us something either some form of restitution or, at a minimum, a remorseful apology. If they do that, we feel vindicated and are most likely willing to reciprocate and forgive their debt because it's now been paid in some way. But, 
reciprocity God's way in the form of kingdom forgiveness overlooks that middle step. Kingdom forgiveness recognizes that the process toward reconciliation always begins with the injured person, not with the person who did the injuring. Let's go back to Matthew 18:15. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. Friends, one hard truth of our Christian faith is that forgiveness is not an option. It's a necessity. It's actually a command to obey, whether we feel like it or not. Sometimes the forgiveness must be offered out of sheer obedience to the word of God. When we perceive forgiveness as a feeling, we lose out. Forgiveness is an act of our will, motivated by God's word. This is an area where our suke-driven life must be put to death, crucified. Feelings and emotions are unreliable and untrustworthy. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3:13 and 14 say, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgiveness, friends, can only occur if it flourishes in the context of genuine godly love. The context of the Colossians passage is chapter 3, 12 through 17, where forgiveness occurs in tandem with godly love. The summary being, and above all these virtues put on agape love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The emotional debts we sinful people would otherwise owe each other have been canceled by the blood of Jesus. The only outstanding debt we should incur is the continuing debt to love, per Romans 13, 8-10, which says in part, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Whatever other commands there may be are summed up in this one command, Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Friends, relational forgiveness should be the hallmark of the Christ follower. Zoe life, a.k.a. resurrection life, should undergird our every behavior toward one another, especially regarding our mutual offenses, because God has forgiven us for the greatest offense, our personal sin and rebellion against him. Friends, shouldn't loving the way Christ loves presuppose our willingness to forgive others? Haven't we been the recipient of God's undeserved favor? After all, isn't grace defined this way? Shouldn't being the recipient of undeserved favor cause us to freely dish out undeserved favor? Shouldn't we forgive and love in spite of others' sins, just as God in Christ has done for us? The Apostle Paul couldn't have been clearer when he said in Romans 5, We were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Notice we were not even neutral, not even uncaring one way or the other, not even indifferent. We were enemies, moral rebels, running away from God. Yet God loved us and Christ's blood was shed to save us and reconcile us back to him. 
in our Sue crazy culture, friends, and our constant demand for legal rights, Jesus' and Paul's teachings sound almost impossible. After all, when someone hurts us deeply, the suke life tends to kick in and becomes our fallback position to reciprocate for what they've done. But reciprocity God's way? instead musters up the Zoe life and gives others not what they deserve, but what they need. Forgiveness has the power to break a cycle of retaliation and initiate mutual reconciliation. It's a great day for the Christian when we walk down the road containing guardrails of forgiveness, when forgiveness reigns and relinquishes bitterness. So when someone hurts us, offends us, even sins against us, let's try rolling a seven. Let's choose the path of forgiveness. Let's work to bring repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. In so doing, we'll restore fractured relationships. After all, Romans twelve sixteen through 18 reminds us, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Do not be conceited. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So friends, let's pursue the path of forgiveness because this is reciprocity God's way. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, I can see we're nearing the end of today's program. I hope it's been strengthening as well as challenging. My prayer is that we all will grow in forgiveness and reciprocate God's way. Jesus said it best, didn't he, in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As promised earlier, today's program will also be closing with an email where you may write me and share your feedback, plus inquire about how to financially support a word from the word. I love coming alongside those of you without a church home or those of you who may have been wounded by the institutional church. Podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Podcasts can also be accessed on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And thanks to my friends and partners at ChristianBody.net, a word from the word is broadcast to over 70 countries. Friends, please consider investing in the mission of a word from the word in 2023 and help us become fully funded. It's listeners like you that help to keep this program on the air. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.